Welcome to the Health Edge, translating the science of self-care. Mark Pettis, good to be with you and with my friend, John Bagnulo. John, how are you doing this morning? Hey, I'm doing well, Mark. Great to see you. Great to see you, as always. And you know, we apologize in advance for what may be a bit of stuttering on our connection, uh, particularly with the audio. And um, uh, I, I think combination, John, of some recent winter weather, some power outages, uh, I, I find that some of the connections just aren't as robust in our region as they usually are. So we'll make, we'll make the most of it. What's new with you, John? Well, you know, hey, uh, days are longer. We've got some mild weather on the, uh, on the way here in Vermont. So, uh, you know, that's, that's encouraging. And, you know, we're, we're full, full days here with skiing and, uh, you know, kids, <laughs> kids on Zoom calls. And, you know, there's a lot going on here. But we're in the home stretch here with respect to winter. So, so that's nice. I'm, I'm looking forward, as you know, Mark, and it's a great segue into today's topic. I'm really looking forward to more sunlight, uh, more intense UVB and IR light, right? And, uh, and, and, you know, wow. I mean, what a topic here in terms of the papers that, you know, you, you shared with me and that we're going to discuss today. It's a, it could be a real game changer for people in a different way. Yeah, I'm going to um, uh, just put this paper up on the screen for others to, to see, John. Uh, we've been uh, looking at and reviewing in a great deal of detail this paper that was published in Endocrinology in, in uh, 2018, how ultraviolet light touches the brain and endocrine system through the skin and why, what happens and, and you know, what, what's really going on as the outside translates into our inner biologic systems network. And this is just a, an amazing paper, albeit a bit, a bit geeky, uh, from several centers, uh, University of Alabama, Birmingham, University of Manchester in the UK, University of Miami. And to set the stage, John, we, we've had many podcasts where we have discussed this field of photobiomodulation, how wavelengths of light, some visible light in the visible light spectrum, that 400 to 700 nanometer spectrum, which is like a pebble on a beach of spectral activity. So, uh, we really perceive a really tiny percentage of all the wavelengths uh, that are out there, but that's our visible light. And we know that about 45, almost 50% of the light that reaches the surface of this planet is in that visible light spectrum. And then we have light that you has no visible color attached to it when we look at the ultraviolet which is the subject of this paper, John. And um, there are three categories of ultraviolet light, which is generally in the wavelength ranges of 250 to 400 nanometers. So these are shorter wavelengths of light. And the UVB is the longest of, of those ultraviolet categories, uh, UVB being in the 
you know, the 320 to 400 range. Uh, and UVB, as many, many of our listeners may know, is what is responsible for the production of vitamin D in the skin. And we're going to be talking about many non-vitamin D related activities of ultraviolet light. We have UVA, ultraviolet A, which is even a little bit shorter. That's in that, you know, 250 to, to 320 range. And UVA light uh, is, has been most notably associated with nitric oxide production. And nitric oxide is a very small and amazing molecule that for which the Nobel Prize was awarded uh, several years ago. And nitric oxide appears to be central as a molecule regulating capillary flow and endothelial function, the lining of our capillaries, very dynamic. And then there's UVC, which we don't hear much about. Uh, UVC um, really does not penetrate the stratosphere. There's very little UVC, uh, if any, that reaches the surface. It's a more toxic um, wavelength of light. But ultraviolet light in general represents about 3% of the wavelengths of light that reach the surface of this planet. And yet it has a wide range of of biologic activity. And this is really the, the subject that we'll be reflecting on today, John. And this, even for the, even for the geek who loves science, who has spent their entire life curious and seeking to understand more about it, these, these pathways, these mechanisms just bring you to your knees uh, with, with humility. I mean, they are so, um, sophisticated, so elegant, so complicated. And at the end of the day, it's all about communication. It's how our skin, which is the largest organ in our body, is ultimately a transducer. We are, we are complex biologic transducers that take many signals in our environment. Uh, and in this instance, um, electromagnetic signal. Uh, but that signal might be mechanical pressure, like a wound. It might be uh, a, um, uh, you know, uh, a, an insect bite. It might be, um, uh, you know, just a, a, another um, uh, plant-based uh, exposure. And so we know that the skin is a remarkably intelligent and um, broad translator of the many signals that it confronts and what this paper begins to bring into clearer view is how those translations quickly disseminate both locally at the, at the area that's being exposed, but also systemically. And th this becomes so much more of an interesting story, right, John, than ultraviolet light burns your skin. It's bad. Avoid it. Uh, <laughs> End of story. End of story. Yeah. Uh, and so this, you know, that's like taking a, a Beethoven symphony and um, looking at a couple of notes and drawing your conclusions about the symphony. I, you know, this is a this is a symphonic, beautiful biologic model. Uh, and uh, so that's that's a little bit of a long winded introduction to the paper and the and the topic, John. Um, um, 
And as a, as a, maybe a segue, and I'll let you run with your thoughts on some of what we reviewed, John, but as a segue, we often refer to this concept of xenohormesis, of these low doses of stressors. And either you or I are suggesting that ultraviolet light can't be dangerous, um, but what what we want to emphasize is that in nature, there are these hormetic responses where low frequent doses of a stressor, uh, and we've talked about um, intermittent fasting as a stressor, exercise as a stressor, um, many nutrients and, and foods have these hormetic effects in very low doses. In this example, John, ultraviolet light and, and UVB, where much of this paper focused, is a hormetic stressor that with the right dose, certainly not too much, but definitely avoiding not, you know, any exposure leads to a whole cascade of hormetic responses, many of which, as we understand them more and more, create tremendous metabolic resiliency and fluidity. We talked about that last week. Um, and connect us at the level of skin to virtually everything that's happening in our body. So sorry to get a little long-winded there, John, but just to put this into some, some context. And, and so what were your thoughts, John, when you began to go through this, this paper? I'm, I'm having trouble hearing you, John. Yeah, well, look, I mean, it's it, you're, you said it so well. If you if you do a search on PubMed and you do ultraviolet light and let's just. Any better? Can you hear me now, Mark? I can hear you now, John. Yep. OK, uh, you know, Mark, this reading about one piece of the symphony with respect to, you know, how monolithic we've been with respect to ultraviolet light being damaging and, and causing mutations uh, in the skin. You know, it, it's the same. The analogy is also how we talked about microbes for, you know, let's say the first 30 or 40 years, they were, they were always harmful, right? Microbes caused illness. Microbes are associated with things like food poisoning. Now we know that microbes drive life, right? And they're more supportive of who we are and gene expression than any aspect of, of our environment. It's the same thing with light. I mean, right? It's been such a reductionistic approach to ultraviolet light as well as the full spectrum. Um, you know, now we're at a point where we're on that frontier. We're starting to discover how critical light is not only for placing that small amount of stress on cellular processes that can actually make us stronger and more adaptive. But we're understanding more about the biochemistry. You know, you mentioned nitric oxide with respect to UVA. I think that's an awesome, maybe an awesome place for me to start because like we know nitric oxide is important. You mentioned how, how critical it is for vasodilation and helping us have, let's say, normal blood pressure, a normal um, stress response to exercise or to a really, really hot climate. 
you know, it is. Um, but at the same time, let's say you're only behind glass and you're not getting full spectrum light. We know that UVA goes through glass, but UVB doesn't, right? So let's say you're a person that's always behind glass. And, you know, I got two different ways we can go with this. If you're a person that's always behind glass, you're getting a full dose of UVA and that's allowing you to, you know, generate the nitric oxide, which is important for certain things. But when you start to go downstream from that nitric oxide production, you realize that nitric oxide really starts to bind to something we call cytochrome C oxidase. That's a really important aspect of mitochondrial health. It's what ultimately helps us consume oxygen in the way of generating ATP. We, you know, we call that aerobic respiration, right? Or beta oxidation, what's required to burn fat. Well, what happens is if we have this imbalance and it's all going to tie into this awesome paper um, that you shared with us and, you know, with myself and the listeners, if you have an overabundance of UVA because you're always behind glass and you're never outdoors and you don't get the other mem other full components of that light spectrum, what happens is you know, the nitric oxide is going to bind onto that cytochrome C oxidase, this really critical player in mitochondrial health and in us generating energy and, you know, having everything we want you know, available to us in the way of energy for activity and for everything we want to do in life. And if what happens is it takes something like infrared light to bounce that nitric oxide out of that, once again, bind onto oxygen and use that to drive aerobic respiration. So there's just one example of where if you have an imbalance in full spectrum light, you're only getting UVA, you're not getting UVB, you're not getting other types of light like infrared light, then that imbalance in the end causes mitochondrial dysfunction. It's just remarkable, you know? So I think that this paper, highlights in my in my mind mark more than anything else the importance of balance and full spectrum light and getting outdoors in in sunlight where you're gonna let that whole symphony play as you speak right i mean that's that's really what you're talking about here it's you've got to have full spectrum light you've got to have it on your skin and it's easy to especially with modern life it's easy to develop all these imbalances because either we're behind glass, we're always wearing sunblock or sunscreen, or, you know, we just don't get outdoors to begin with. So I like that angle, you know, the importance of full spectrum light and, and not being reductionistic and thinking about sunlight as being damaging or only associating it with vitamin D. Vitamin D is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, that's just one of many things. And, you know, you brought to my attention a while ago, um, these little sensors we have in our skin. You go inside a big box store with, you know, with uh, fluorescent lights, right? And you have all that light hitting your skin. I mean, people think that that's innocuous, but that light, when it hits your face, you know, it's, it's telling your body that it's, you know, 5 a.m. or it's sunrise, right? I mean, it's confusing the hell out of the body. When I read this paper, and then there's other papers, if we have time we can get into, I just say, holy shit, like, you know, what we don't know about the importance of light, right? It's, I mean, it's, it's so much more than the little bit that we do know. So, I, I mean, I love this stuff because a lot like with the microbiome, it, these things are, I just, I think they can really provide so much hope um, and, and new ways of thinking about treatment, about optimal health and about how we can, you know, really better serve people from that public health model. Like, you know, give people the advice to get outdoors and get some time without sunscreen or sunblock. And that's when you say that though, right? When you say get outside and expose your skin to a little full spectrum light without any protection, 
you know, people don't understand that that stressor is positive in the end, you know? So I, I really like the paper because I think it's got that big kind of macro look at sunlight. You know, like you mentioned, it's looking at the endocrine system. It's looking at every aspect of who we are. And then from there, we can go from macro to micro and we can look at some of the mechanisms that might take place and, you know, like the mitochondria and other areas of the body. Yeah, that's great, John. The and it, and it makes me think of all that we see in the nutritional science research where food, whole food comes as this symphonic package of nutrients, micronutrients, phytonutrients. And history would suggest whenever you try to extract a piece from the symphony, if you just take one section out of the orchestra, it won't have the same effect, might even have a, a detrimental effect that one would not have predicted based on how the whole package creates a beneficial effect. And light certainly seems to be very consistent with the, these laws of nature where the, everything that we're exposed to in our environments uh, has, has multiple uh, dimensions to it. And so I love that um, example you gave of ultraviolet light and infrared light where together in the example of nitric oxide, you get a much more robust hemodynamic cell signaling, electron flow, health promoting dynamic than you might get with one or the other alone. And that's only a very beautiful design would, would lead to that, that type of, 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 of response process. What, what I found so amazing about this paper, John, and I think about this stuff a lot, is just how um, beneath the surface of the skin, just a few millimeters of depth beneath the skin, you've got representation from your nervous system, from your immune system, from your endocrine system. And in this example, a wavelength of light, 380 nanometers of light originating from a star, I don't know, I, I, 83 million miles away, penetrates the stratosphere of this planet. It then, uh, as, it, as it penetrates the skin, it starts to turn all these systems yeah, on. Yeah. So all these little uh, nerve cells become activated. They communicate locally to the other nerve cells in the community under the skin. They then release these transmitters into the circulation, which then go to the brain. And now the skin is playing a role in high-level brain function, the stress response, uh, uh, cognition, um, maybe pain modulation. And we know, for example, and that, that people who are out in sunlight often notice how much better their pain is, how much better their mood is. Um, uh, I have my best thoughts when I'm sitting out in the sun and often I'll have a little pad with me. I'll be out my back deck and whoa, suddenly I'm starting to see things and think of things that would have otherwise been elusive to me. Those are phenotypes that represent 
these biologic transductions. And, and to me, that's just uh, stunning how a wavelength of light with a source 83 million uh, eight, you know, miles from here can begin to influence in, in the example of pain reduction, my opioid production, these endorphins, these enkephalins, these um, sophisticated neural networks. Uh, and then we have the, you know, these immune cells. And so we know that, again, in ultraviolet light can be very, in the right dose, anti-inflammatory, which is why dermatologists have been using UV light as a, as a therapeutic intervention for chronic inflammatory skin conditions like eczema, psoriasis, uh, pigment changes. I mean, nobody's ever debated the efficacy of that. Um, and, and many might refer to that as a local anti-inflammatory effect. What this paper is suggesting is that these quickly translate into diffuse systemic effects, immune system, the neuroendocrine system, the fight flight response, our cortisol production, all of our neurotransmitters that we know influence our mood and, and cognition. And so um, you, you see this beautiful design with autonomy, sort of local autonomy, um, with direct and immediate communication, um, and the skin ultimately, John, sort of becomes the translator to all of our internal organs of what's happening in our environment. Our internal organs try to respond and adapt as they have evolved to do. Uh, and uh, as they send out their signals, that goes to the skin and you, you just have this perpetual communication loop. And, um, as you know, I, I, I think of humans as these complex, essentially we're, we're this, these communication systems. We're receivers, we're transmitters of information. Most of that is happening beneath the level of visibility in these electromagnetic wave patterns, uh, these biophotonic light patterns, uh, and that our biology from head to toe could be so influenced by these relationships um, it just says so much about the elegance of evolutionary biology and how any attempt to restrict a more natural interaction will inevitably lead to um, unwanted consequences. And, and so um, I just find it all remarkable uh, from the standpoint of physics, I guess, John, and quantum physics. Uh, because that's really the realm of activity that we're talking about. Uh, flow of electrons, this is energy that are very designed as a, as a superconductor. Uh, the skin is clearly uh, the first line of communication. And, and it's just uh, um, pretty humbling when you begin to, to look at these interactions. And, you know, in the example, uh, John, of... Um, uh, what we know to be true in terms of circadian entrainment, which you and I have talked about often on this podcast, where people who get disruption of their highly evolved day-night cycling, that exposure to, to similar wavelengths of light at the wrong time of day uh, can have the exact opposite 
uh, and you know, you gave the, the big box store blue light special example where, you know, they've got these fluorescent blue light <laughs> beaming at you. And uh, chances are you're going to walk out of the store with a 52 inch TV that you really don't need uh, without, without ever considering the fact that your environment and, and the, and the, <laughs> uh, and the companies uh, creating their environments are hacking, you know, your, 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 and so that's an example of how a, the brain and its complexity can begin to succumb to a wavelength of light that on the surface is simply making the room light enough to navigate. Uh, it's, you know, these are, uh, when I begin to just think about the stories, the narratives that are playing out in real time, every moment uh, it, it, that ultimately we, we end up paying so little attention to, and yet we wonder why it is uh, we feel the way we feel or we, or we behave the way we behaved, you begin to see how these systems can really, uh, they can be your best friend. Uh, and if you understand them, you can use them as you would a fine-tuned instrument. Uh, but if you don't really understand the orchestra, um, it's going to be hard to produce the best symphony, right? And that, that's, uh, um, it, we, 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 it just seems we've really gotten this message entirely backwards, um, not so much in our caution of excessive exposure, uh, but in our complete um, lapse of, of consideration or educating from a public health perspective the many ways in which we know these invisible wavelengths of light can totally change your life and, and your biology. And so um, those, were, those were some of my impressions from the paper. And we know, John, that like any hormetic stimulus, if it's the right dose at the right time, you create this um, accentuated adaptation. So we know that people who get lots of small dose exposure to sunlight will be able to spend more time in sunlight, get more of that energy and all of all that's communicated with it with less risk because through those small strategic timely exposures, they've created an adaptive response that over time will allow them to get more of that response. And mm. that's, we, we might call that conditioning. People, you know, have just more conditioning. They're tanned because they're out, you know, if, you, if you're very fair skinned and, you know, you've got red hair and, and, and lots of freckles, you know, your dose is going to have to be a lot smaller. This is, you know, this is not one size fits all. Um, it's a matter of determining what that dose is. And, and we do know, John, that there are times of day, as we often talk about, where one can get a little more of these wavelengths with less toxicity, particularly uh, those early morning hours, uh, you know, those first few hours after sunrise are just magical. As soon as that sun starts to, uh, as soon as the light, even before you see the sun appears over the horizon, you are, you are getting some of the best prescribed wavelengths of visible and non-visible light that Homo sapiens on this planet have ever seen. Uh, and the same again can be said right later in the day, those 
later afternoon, early evening. So there are many ways that one can adapt their exposure to limit their risk. Um, but without exposure, um, you're simply um, depriving yourself of what may be one of the most therapeutic, environmental, and free um, um, healing environmental stimuli that has ever existed on this planet. And uh, so it, yeah, it's, it's really amazing stuff. And these systems, John, neurologic, immune, uh, neuroendocrine are, they're, they're all tightly integrated. And, you know, we, we, we don't think of the skin as separate from the brain or um, the skin is separate from the liver or from the heart or from the intestinal tract. Our traditional models of medicine totally separate them. And rarely will you see bridges built mm. between those silos. And so this is yet another example mechanistically, uh, biologically of, of how a beautifully and elegant design system is structured to work. And it's, it's pretty profound. Yeah, and it's, you know, as you, as you know, Mark, it's photobiomodulation, right? So it's, it's really weird, as you know, as you're talking, quantum physics meets biology, meets medicine, meets human physiology. And if you really break it all down to the most fundamental unit of what's happening, you're really facilitating electron transfer. That's what this is all about, right? You got photons that initiate you know, changes that allow for electrons to move more freely. And that's why, you know, that's why people eat blueberries. That's why people, you know, add turmeric uh, to their daily regimen. It's all about electron donation, electron transfer. That's how antioxidants work. That's how we neutralize radicals. The most harmful substances to human health are those substances which have these unpaired as molecules and the most you know, mitigating foods, those which can really arrest disease processes or pathology or those which donate electrons and, and create stability in that orbital. And that's what this is all about. And, and you know, what's really amazing, and we don't probably have time to get into this today. We've touched on it in the past, though. You know, this, this bio photo biomodulation and, and the effect of sunlight it changes the viscosity of the water inside our mitochondria. water. Yeah, I think we've talked about the third phase of water by Gerald Pollack and others, right? About, you know, how we're really looking for a gel-like consistency of water. That's cytoplasm. You have to maintain that. It takes energy. And sunlight's the only way to really maintain that, infrared light in particular. Um, so, you know, it's, it's incredible to think that going outside, getting sunlight on your skin is going to change the viscosity of the water inside your most important cellular components. It's going to make them, it's going to make them better at handing off electrons. The machinery is basically just going to run more smoothly, you know, in terms of the eight call, you know, the Krebs cycle or aerobic respiration. So there's just so many different ways that the light is influencing the machinery of who we are. And I, you know, again, it's just incredible. And, and I, if you asked any kindergartner what's important to grow a plant, right there, we say 
sunlight. I think they'd all identify that. They would say water. They would say soil and some, you know, some maybe of our you know, newer kindergarten on what they were learning in their particular curriculum. I mean, it, and that's the same thing for us, right? I mean, you got to have sunlight. It's critical for life. And yet it is really the forgotten child, so to speak, when you talk about the pillars of health. Right. A lot of people identified for you, people would say, yeah, I make an effort to uh, to get sunlight every day. And, you know, for one reason or another, some people are afraid of it either due to cancer. Some people live in climates, you know, like I do here in Vermont, where, you know, you pay you pay the price if you go out with too much exposed skin here for a few months of the year. But it's as, every bit as essential to optimal health as what we eat. And, you know, as a person whose whole career has been in the area of, you know, nutritional biochemistry, I'll, I will be the first to admit that sunlight may in fact be more important given its ability to directly and so rapidly influence our biochemistry. And the last thing I'll mention, Mark, that you know, I know you're certainly appreciative of this, but many people aren't, is how is it we could have for so long turned our back on the importance of sunlight when we've known since 1983 I think that was the first time this type of research um, was published, but we've known for, again, we've known that the further you live from the equator, that the greater your risk for every chronic disease. And cancer is in that. Cancer is, you know, really a chronic disease. It's not as much a uh, rare, it is, obviously there are instances where it's more of a kind of a single mutation, but you know, for the most part, cancer is a chronic disease, every bit as much as insulin resistance and cardiovascular disease. And, you know, we, we've known for so long that sunlight is a huge component to that equation and it's protective against chronic disease. And as you, again, as you move further and further north, or if you're, you know, going into the Southern hemisphere, you're going in the other direction, but the further you get from the equator, the greater your risk for every single chronic disease and yet we've, again, we've continued to undervalue the importance of sunlight now for so long. So I love that paper. Thanks for sharing that. It really, it brings a lot of things home. Yeah, great discussion, John. We apologize for the audio quality, but hopefully there, there's enough here for it to be coherent and uh, uh, continuous enough. I, I think most of, we captured most of the highlights John, and this is a topic that we will continue to come back to. There's so much more to, to talk about here. But the bottom line is, particularly as the sun season approaches, the spring equinox in a month or so, to take advantage of those early morning hours to get unprotected um, uh, sun exposure, you know, no need for sunglasses, let that light get into your eyes. And again, if you're fair skinned or you're in a place where the sun season is short, very small doses. It may be five, 10 minutes, uh, twice a day. Um, and, and so, you know, you have to sort of individualize that dose, uh, but, but it, it will make a huge difference. And like many uh, factors, these differences uh, may be realized uh, in the moment, but many of them accumulate over, over time. And so um, good stuff. I will, uh, Put this paper up on our website, John, thehealthedgepodcast.com, and um, people can review it. Uh, I'll also put up a, um, a video or a link to a video that I did on this subject uh, for the Physicians for Ancestral Health. We talked a little bit about uh, life, uh, 
uh, and its relationship to light. And this was before the pandemic, right before the pandemic hit. So I'll put that up on our site as well, if anyone wants to check that out. And um, John, great to be with you, buddy. Hey, you too, bud. <laughs>